Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Today's verses are Matthew 2, 13-23. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years older under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would become a Nazarene. Thank you. Well done. We have been in a series the entire month uh, during Advent uh, looking at the birth of Jesus through these first couple chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, if you've not been with us, I'll just give you this insight into Matthew's uh, take on the birth of Jesus is that what Matthew does continually is actually not give us a lot of details around uh, the birth and nativity of Jesus, but gives us uh, really the meaning of Jesus' birth through the different encounters and people who come across his birth. And uh, today, the episode that we sort of get to conclude this series is, is the darkest one in the story. Uh, it, it's really a dark episode. Now, about dark episodes. Um, uh, Ryan Lubin, uh, a British columnist, had an article a couple years ago uh, lamenting the idea that our schools are more and more uh, filtering out ancient stories uh, from children's curriculum because of some of the dark things they have in it. And he argues actually uh, some of the dark episodes in ancient stories that we used to read all the time in schools are actually some of the most helpful, instructive things. This is what he writes. He says, in Little Red Riding Hood, you learn even though despite the scary moments, they learn never to trust strangers. And in Watership Down, they discover difficult themes of death and of conflict. And then in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, Roald Dahl warns children about the dangers of greed through a series of continually unfortunate incidents 
of, that, that different characters come across of. And he's just making a point this, that some of the times, the dark episodes that we read them, we're like, why would this be in here? What does this do? Are some of the most enlightening and instructive things for ways for us to learn. Now, Matthew is including this episode from Herod for several reasons, but one of them is to really instruct us around the meaning of Jesus' birth, a couple things, and I think three we can gather this morning. That this dark episode teaches us about something about the world, something about the Bible, and something about the message of salvation. So first, this dark episode, it teaches us something about the world. Look back with me in the text. In verse 13 and then in verse 16, we get sort of the context of what happens. It says this, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod, and this is the key phrase, is about to search for the child and to destroy him. And then in verse 16, we learn that he actually takes action on the very thing that Joseph was warned about, that Herod goes around and make sure all the little children under the age of two are killed. Now, this darkness, that is indeed darkness, surrounded by Herod, there's really probably two observations. I mean, we learn about sort of the, the heart of darkness of the world, and then the chronology of it. I mean, the heart of this darkness, now why is Herod doing this? Herod is the king. And what he learns is that someone else is going to be born a king who will be greater than him. And he can't handle this. And his only action is to take matters into his own hands and to get rid of that king. Now, Herod here, when he's talked about as the king uh, of the area, one of the commentators you can read on this makes the insight that as the king and the representative in the ancient Near East, it's not just an individualistic take on this baby being born. He's representing all of the region and all of the world. And what Matthew wants us to think about is that Herod's attitude towards Jesus being born is the world's attitude towards Jesus being born. And what happens is when he's born, the idea is that he's got to go. And the reason he feels that way is because he knows this baby being born is a king that represents his own authority and voice being removed See, here, here's the, the heart of the darkness of the world. We hate, hate, and I'm using that word hate. <laughs> we hate the idea of anybody else having an authoritative voice over our life. What we least want in the world is for anybody else to have the most insightful, authoritative voice on how life should be going. Do you remember the, um, the children's book, Where the Wild Things Are? My father used to read this to me, and I've read this to my kids. Uh, it's about the little boy, Max, who's running around um, rampantly, and his mom says, eat your dinner, and he won't eat his dinner. And he won't listen to anything she says, so she sends him to his room. And when he goes to his room, he begins to imagine a whole new world that he sails off to, and he gets to this island and it's full of just wild things. And what the wild things do is they turn and they look at Max and they sort of call him the king. They put a crown on him and dance to him and, and wander around him. And what uh, the book is sort of suggesting 
is that Max, what he wants is he wants no one to be able to tell him what to do. He wants no one to tell him when to eat his meal, what to do at night, and how to obey. And so he, he fantasizes about an island in a life where he's the king and he gets to do whatever he wants. And you know what? That's the little picture of the human heart. But the king that we most resist in all, of the, in all the circumstances of our life is this baby being born. There's a place later on in Jesus' ministry where he sends out disciples in Luke chapter 10. He sends out the 72, and uh, they go and they do these amazing things of ministry. There are, there's healings, there's demons being cast out. Uh, it's tremendous kingdom ministry. And it's a really comedic moment in the Gospels because they come back to Jesus and they say, you're not going to believe what we did. And they start describing it to him in a tone that you imagine they're trying to impress him. And I just imagine Jesus listening to this like, okay, wow. Because he responds going, I was there when, when Satan was kicked out of heaven. <laughs> Like, do you really want to play this trump card moment with me right now? And as he describes and enters into them, he says, you know, when you do something, don't be impressed with yourself because people are responding not to you, they're responding to me. But he says, when they hate you and when they reject you, fear not, they're not hating you, they hate me. And that's what's going on in this episode here with Herod, that you and I have got to understand that the world hates the idea of Jesus being king. Now, at the heart of all the ethical, political, social things that you encounter as a follower of Christ, at the base note of all of it really is this idea that we don't want anyone else to be king but this man but, excuse me, we don't want anyone else to be king but ourselves. And the idea that this baby in the manger, Jesus, will be an authoritative king for the world is the most threatening thing in our life and in our culture. That's the focus of it, but there's also a chronology to it. Because notice when this takes place. This does not come after the, uh, Jesus has been teaching, like on the Sermon on the Mount, or he's uh, gathering a ministry and a crowd of people and Herod's threatened by this. It's just the rumor of it, of his birth. From the beginning, the hostility was there. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because it's so easy to look at our world today and especially if you're on the latter half of your life, to feel like the culture is going down the toilet. Like you're more worried about how things are now than they were when you were a kid. And I, I mean, I, I think about this all the time. Like if I have one fantasy, I've told Becky, it's that I would wake up and it's 1986 and there are no cell phones and there's no internet. And we're not very angry about a lot of things. But, you know, we're falling into this chronological snobbery. Because the hostility towards Jesus and his kingship 
is not something that came with technology. It's not something that's come even in the latter half of the 20th century or the beginning of the 21st century. It happened at his birth. And even, even before that, Jonathan Edwards in his great work, Charity His Fruits, he said this. He said, immediately upon the fall, the mind of man shrank from its natural wisdom to an excessive smallness and contractedness. See, before the soul was under the guiding principle of God's love, whereby it was enlarged and comprehensive of all of the fellow mankind and their well-being. But as soon as he, we had sinned against God, the noble principle of love for our neighbor was immediately lost, and that excessive largeness of our soul was immediately gone. And afterwards, all of man's heart shrank, as it were to a little point, circumscribed and closely shut up within, him, sh- shut up within himself to the exclusion of all things else. Now, Ed- Edwards is saying that even from the fall, what happened to us is we just said no to God's authoritative voice in our life. And every moment since then, that that voice has come in and said something about how we are to be and what life is meant to be like, and that resistance has been there, our heart shrinks more and more and more and more and more until we're less able to love God and love our neighbor. And it's been there from the beginning and was magnified in Jesus' birth. And you know what? Here's the point of all that. That's also written on your heart and on mine. That the heart of the darkness of the world that you read about or worried about exists also within this room. And if you don't comprehend that and understand that, you know what will happen is the church will always be something that's very lonely to you. Because you will begin to think that you, are, you have less darkness than the person next to you. And as long as you think that, as long as you believe that you have less darkness than those who are sitting next to you, it's very hard to commune and connect with them. Because you're suspicious of them and you're worried about them. And you'll take all the suspicion that you have outside the walls of the church into the walls of the church. Do you remember how the, uh, that little children's book, Where the Wild Things Are, ends up? He's the king, and no one can tell him what to do. But he gets on that, and he lives that for a while. And what happens is he becomes lonely. Because no one is, if, if he's the king, and he's in charge, no one can love him. So what he concludes is he wants to go home. See, if you don't think that you have any of that darkness and hostility written on your heart, what will happen is you will isolate yourself from people who you think are darker than you. And you'll get to the point that no one can love you. And it'll leave you very lonely. That's the darkness of this world. But secondly, this episode, it teaches us something about the Bible. Now, what do I mean? Look in verses 14 and 15. It says this, And he, that's Joseph, rose, and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So what happens is that Joseph has this dream. He knows uh, they're going to kill his son. 
So he leaves and flees to Egypt. And as Matthew describes it, he drops in this quote from Hosea chapter 11, out of Egypt, I called my son. And, and as Matthew does this and puts this around the circumstances of Jesus, this is actually an astonishing moment in this text because what it does is it gives us a, a new point to the Bible and a new way to read it. Now, if you go back to Hosea chapter 11 and you read that, some of you may read this in, in Matthew chapter 2 and think, well, this is just, you know, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament and it came true here in Jesus. But if you read Hosea 11, at no point is this ever talking about the Messiah. What it's actually talking about is it's talking about Israel and the ways that they have disobeyed God and, and it actually highlights some of the details in the children's video where they were given the Ten Commandments, they won't obey, even though God had pulled them out of uh, Egypt, out of slavery, and he had called them. And what Matthew does is he takes this text that's not about Jesus at all and reframes it about Jesus. Have you ever been in a book study where uh, you're just reading a, maybe, you know, a fiction novel with, with friends? It's, it's, a, it's a book club, and uh, you bring in the chapter and drinking tea and talking about it, and somebody just says, like, well, what did you get out of this chapter? And somebody says something, and you're just like, how did, how did you get that? Um, like there's just this uncomfortable moment where you just kind of smile along and say, yeah, I saw that too. And deep down, you're wondering if they actually read the book. What Matthew is doing here, it, it, it's actually terrible hermeneutics. I, I had a, a class in, in, in seminary where a professor taught on how to study the Bible. And, and one of the principles he put out right in the front is always context is everything. That if you want to make sense of a, a passage of Scripture, you need to understand what is being said by the author in that context, in that time, in that place. And Matthew breaks all of those rules to take this text of Hosea and put it around Jesus. Now, why? Because the birth of Jesus is so earth-shattering and is so paradigm-shifting and is so life-altering that there's no way to go back and read the Bible any other way than to look at all of the Old Testament texts and all of its stories and all of its message and say it only ends in this person. Here, here's what you're learning right here about the Bible that Matthew gives us. Everything in the Old Testament, it all ends in the coming of this baby in the manger. That means all, all of the poetry in the Psalms comes to a climax in Jesus. All of the Proverbs that speak about the wisdom of what godliness and how that is the most fruitful life, none of it makes sense until the coming of Jesus. All of the narratives, all the stories about Joshua leading his people into the promised land, about David overcoming Goliath, about all of the Old Testament heroes standing up for the faith, they all are pointing to this man. And what we're meant to do is understand that the whole point of all of the Bible and all the point of all of the stories is for us to read them 
not in light of how do we become like these people and how do we take this into our life, but first and foremost, how does this tell me more and more about Jesus? That he is the key to unlocking all of this, to make it not about you and I, but about him. There was one time uh, Becky and I went out to dinner uh, with... uh, My boss came in town. Uh, He wanted to treat us to someplace nice. We went to this place in Beverly Hills. And as we're walking out of the parking garage, we're about to cross the street to go to the restaurant. One of those Hollywood um, tour vans came by with a bunch of people who were from out of town. And I'm standing there on the curb. And everybody in the van stands up and starts screaming and pointing their phone at me and taking videos. And I had one of those moments where I was like, it's true. (laughs) I've wondered if if everybody knew who I was and this was all about me and I'm just this like Truman Show character. And then about 30 seconds, well, it wasn't even that long. Seconds later, I realized, no, 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 no. There's somebody really famous behind me. (laughs) And they're taking photos of him. Look, it, it it is so easy to take the scriptures and to think this is all about me and this is all about my faith and this is all about how I live a better life and a more godly life and a life that differentiates me from the world and the darkness that's out there that's ruining everything. But do you ever wonder how people can believe this faith and read these scriptures and pray these prayers and sing these songs that you've sung and become some of the worst people in the world. And the most judgmental and the harshest people to be around. You know how that happens? Is because when they read this, it's all about them. It's all about their life. And anything dark and broken, that's all about you. But see, what Matthew does is he says there's only one hero. And it only makes sense when you center around this person, Jesus. And when we come to these scriptures, what we're meant to do is to say, how does this unlock the story of the coming of that baby in the manger? And even this little dark episode teaches us something incredible like that. It teaches us something about the world, it teaches us something about the Bible, and then it teaches us something about salvation. Look in verses uh, 13 and then in 19. So when it says this in verse 13, Joseph is to flee because uh, he's to flee to Egypt because Herod is threatened by uh, the children and he's going to search for him and destroy him. And then in verse 19, it says, when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream in Joseph to Egypt saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's death, child's life, excuse me, are dead. So here's the circumstances of the entire event. The, the child is threatened by the, the, the leader of the government because he's going to put to death all of the children. They have to hide them. They leave. They're in Egypt hiding out, and they have to leave Egypt to go back into the land of Israel. Everyone who would have read that 
would have had one thing come to mind, and that's the book of Exodus. That Matthew, is, he's writing these circumstances and intentionally highlighting these moments to tell us that what happens around the birth of this baby is going to be the same sort of message that happened in the Exodus, but to a greater degree. And what happened in the Exodus is that the people in Israel, they were not, they were not spiritually bored. They were not spiritually apathetic. They were in slavery. They were in full bondage. Their lives were lost in misery, destined for death. What happened was God looked on them and had compassion on them and sent in a deliverer for them and pulled them out of their slavery into the promised land. And in a word, what happens all throughout that is a rescue. And here's the nature of salvation that you get from the birth of Jesus. Christian salvation, it is not advice. It's not even a spiritual boost, as if you are somebody who has a little moral inclination, you've got some things figured out, and you just need to remember the gospel to kind of get you over the hedge. Look, Christian salvation is this in a word. It's rescue. It's that you have to understand that you and I are, are completely lost, completely in darkness, lost in our dark world, desperately trying to save ourselves with even our good deeds. Now, the prophet Isaiah says that even the best of those are like filthy rags. And the only hope that we have is to be rescued. If, if you're drowning in the river, unable to swim, and somebody throws you a life preserver, that itself is not even helpful. What must happen is for somebody to jump in, grab a hold of you, and pull you out. And what happens in the gospel is that you and I are not sitting there asking for a life preserver, can you help me, <laughs> just give me a boost. We're sitting there drowning, and God sends a deliverer in this baby to pull us out but not with the help of his life, but at the cost of his life. And that's Christian salvation. And there's another, another thing about this, is that when Joseph returns, it says he's afraid to dwell in the land of Israel because of the new leader. And so what happens is he says to flee to Galilee, and they settle in this little town called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth to us, uh, is well-known because we know of Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth. But in that time, Nazareth was the most unspoken of, redneck, outskirts town in the land. I looked this up this morning. You know what the smallest city in the, city of, uh, the state of California is? It's Amador City. 185 people live there. They took the census in 2000 and 190 people live there. And then they did it again in 2010, and it was 185. They lost five people, which they somehow deemed worthy enough to still do a census. But if something significant happened in our state, 
none of us would expect it from Amador City. And in fact, if you had a visitor come and you wanted to show them the state of California and all that it had to offer, none of you would ever say, you know where you need to go. You need to go to Amador City. But it's from this little place, this unspoken of place, that God will do this rescue salvation. And you know what that means? It means the only way for this salvation to be received and come is through the humble, upside-down things of this world. See, here's, here's the last thing to take in your soul for Christmas this year. The message of salvation can only come into your marriage, into your parenting, into your family, into your relationships, into your job, through the things that the world despises. If you want to make things right in a relationship, it's not going to be through pointing things out another somebody else. It's going to be through the humble, open hands of humility and your own repentance. If you want to make it in the way of the world, you will step on people. If you want to make it in the kingdom of God, you will serve people. If you want to make it in this world, you will accumulate stuff in 2022. If you want to make it in the kingdom of God, you will give stuff away. And, you know, when this comes to the world and the darkness of this world, the funny thing about this is how threatening that is. That this humble salvation that comes at Christmas is so, it's, it's, it's actually threatening and you know what it's threatening? It's threatening our pride. I had a friend, um, maybe one of the best gifts I've ever given, I've ever been given, uh, about six years ago, gave me an incredibly nice watch from a very nice store here. And when he gave it to me, I didn't just go, wow, thank you, this is amazing. I felt terrible. Like I, I felt like, well, I've got to do something for him too. Like the, the next year around him, I just, I felt awkward. I was like, should I wear this watch and show my appreciation? Or do, if I wear the watch, does he need me to acknowledge that every time? Or if I don't wear the watch, does he think I didn't? Like all of those things went through my head all the time. I was paralyzed. And I, I kept trying to give him gifts and offer him things. Well, can I, you know, take you out to dinner? Can I cook you something? And he finally just said, Alex, can you not just receive a gift? Can, can you not just take this? And you know what I finally realized is no. Like, I, I didn't know how to receive a lavish gift. Do you? Do, do you know how to receive this humble salvation that says you have nothing to offer God? And he had to send a baby to rescue you. Or, or do you think you have a pretty good record that's definitely better than most of those people out there? And you just needed a little shove up over the fence. Because if that's the case, then this incredible gift of Christmas, it'll actually be something you, you'll never get. You'll never know how to receive, and it will never give you the joy of Christmas. Let me, let me invite you 
to open your heart and to open your hands to this humble salvation that God gives, not through this majestic king who comes riding in on a stallion, but a little baby born in a manger in this rural town raised in Nazareth, come to live the life that you and I couldn't live and die the death none of us could ever bear to die so that you could be given the gift of communion with God. And that's everything God wants to give you this Christmas from his advent. Take that. Receive that as a gift of Christmas. Let me pray. Father, it would seem so easy that we should be able to just take this We should just be able to open our hands and know that we are loved. But Lord, I I confess before everybody how prideful I am. I would never want anybody to know the depths of my problems, the depths of my darkness, and how much I am polluted just like the world, hostile to you, hostile to all the things that you want to say into my life. But Lord, you came to free us and to forgive us and to give us new life. Help us. Help us, Jesus, to receive the gifts of Christmas, to take this humble salvation of a child in a manger. His name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.